Hello, welcome to the brand new UCL News Podcast. I'm Claire. And I'm George. On this week's podcast, we've got the winner of the Provost's Public Engagement Awards, and I find out a little bit more about the cultural history of the bike. But first, we've got the most recent stories from around UCL. So our first story concerns animals, and in particular, painting animals. Uh, Yes, so the Grant Museum of Zoology has a new exhibition titled Art by Animals that aims to explore animal painting. Uh, Whether it's actually art remains to be debated, but why don't you just go down there yourself and and find out? So the exhibition runs until the 9th of March. Admission is free and there's no need to book, so there's no excuse. So there you go. Um, Moving on to slightly more serious topics, um, a new study led by Dr Nick Wright from the Wellcome Trust Centre for Neuroimaging at UCL has found that testosterone makes us overvalue our own opinions at the expense of cooperation. So the idea is that while problem solving in groups can provide benefits over individual decisions as we're able to share information and expertise, the findings published today in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society B may have implications for how group decisions are affected by dominant individuals. I don't think I can beat that one. But with the Arctic undergoing dramatic changes, a recent Nature Geoscience paper by Dr. Kat Giles from the UCL Department of Earth Sciences has detected a huge dome of fresh water that is developing in the Western Arctic Ocean. Using radar satellites belonging to the European Space Agency, the team think that the 8,000 cubic kilometre dome may be the result of strong winds whipping up a great clockwise current in the northern polar region called the Beaufort Gyre. If all this fresh water were to enter the northern Atlantic in large volumes, the concern would be that it might disturb the currents that have such a great influence on European weather patterns. And I think Kat also did a lunch hour lecture, which you can check out on the Lunch Hour Lectures YouTube channel. She did. It was a fantastic one. Yeah. So that's all the news we've got for this show. Um, but earlier on, we caught up with Hilary Jackson, uh, UCL's public engagement coordinator, and Claire Ross, one of the winners of the Provost Public Engagement Awards, to chat about public engagement and social media at UCL. I'm Hilary Jackson, I'm one of the Public Engagement Coordinators at UCL. I'm Claire Ross, I'm a PhD student at the UCL Centre for Digital Humanities, which is part of the Department of Information Studies. I'm here with Hilary and Claire um, to talk about the Provost Awards for Public Engagement. Um, so if we start with Hilary, Hilary, what, what are the Provost Awards for Public Engagement? <laughs> There's loads of really good public engagement work going on at UCL, mm. and it's going on all the time, and this is just a way that we in the Public Engagement Unit can reward the people who are doing really good work. Okay, and did you have any specific aims when they were set up? Yes, I think because there's so much going on, as I say, that we really wanted to um, to show people what was going on and to um, and to really celebrate the kind of work that's going on, not only from our winners but also from all the people who were nominated. So Claire, um, you are one of the winners this year. Um, you won the student category. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and so, what kind of public engagement activities have you been doing? Um, well, it's quite interesting because I don't actually know what I've been nominated for, um, ah. <laughs> but I imagine um, it's for my work with uh, the Curator Project, um, and what we've done there is looked at using 
digital technology to really open up the dialogue between museum curators and the public. So it's very much a two-way interaction. And we're using iPads uh, to do that, which is very exciting. And why did you decide to get involved in this kind of work at UCL? What was your what was your inspiration, I guess? Um, I'm a firm believer that any research that's done at any university, but particularly at UCL, should be open and available to the public. Um, particularly the work that I do in museums, it's meant to be about the visitors. And previously the research that I've been doing didn't seem to get to that, and that's where the public engagement unit came in. If I can come in there, I mean, the panel was really impressed with Claire's approach to public engagement and the way that her activities have empowered the public to influence what happens um, both in our museums but in, inside UCL's research as a whole. So that was, that was uh, what they were really impressed by. Okay. And just as a more general question for both of you, do you think there are kind of things or tips that, that tend to kind of promote public engagement at an organisation like UCL? Well, I think for, for me, a, a lot of what I do is online and uses digital technology. Mm. So um, I absolutely adore Twitter. I think that's been brilliant for the work that yeah, I do in particular. Kind of connecting people. For connecting people, mm. for building a network and, and letting more people know about it, particularly now that UCL has its own Twitter identity, yes. um, UCL News, um, <laughs> and the Grant Museum, UCL Museums. So any of the work that I've been doing has been then... Uh, spread through those channels and I think that's fantastic so that's one tip I would mm. advise is to go on Twitter and do it that way. Okay. Yeah I think there's definitely a lot to be said for um, taking all the opportunities that mm. you can see. Um, the Public Engagement Unit tries to support public engagement at UCL that's what we were set up to do and we do that in a number of ways so we, we try and provide opportunities but then also provide support and guidance and connect people with other people who have experience in public engagement so that um, so that they can do something and then also through the awards trying to reward and recognise mm. the engagement that people do. So basically having a really good examples of people who've done stuff in the past and yeah. getting them to talk to other people yeah. about doing it. Okay great thanks for coming along. Over the past 100 years, the bike and cycling stars such as Fausto Coppi have played a fascinating role in Italy, uniting the country and mobilising its populace. To find out more about this unique relationship between bike, country and its most famous race, the Giro d'Italia, I went to speak to John Foot, Professor of Modern Italian at UCL and author of Pedalare Pedalare, A History of Italian Cycling. So it's 1908 and it's the start of the 20th century. Can you tell me what Italy was like at, at, at this point? At that time, Italy was a rural country with a predominantly agricultural economy, a poor country with tiny pockets of industry. Um, most of the Italy wasn't, didn't have roads. There was a tiny bit of railway track in the north, not much in the south. And, and so it was a country that was really developing, but very slowly. It had only been made into Italy less than 50 years earlier, in 1861. And so it was, an, it was a country trying, looking for its own identity, looking for progress, not really achieving it at that point, with vast divisions between classes, politi politics, um, north and south, and city and countryside. So it was a country with problems at that time. 
So the bike's been invented a few years before this. Um, why, why did the bike become so, so important in Italian culture and how, how did it go on to kind of change Italy? Well, the bicycle has a revolutionary impact on Italian society because as a rural country, um, the peasants who go to work, they need to travel quite large distances often to get to the fields or to get to their workplace um, every morning, every day. Their day were labourers, most of them paid by the day. And the bike allows them relatively cheaply, although it's quite expensive at first, to do this much more quickly than they had done before. So it, it, it revolutionises the, the relationship between space and work and time. So the bike is, it changes the way people relate to work, it changes the commuting time, and it also becomes a political weapon in getting to demonstrations and strikes very quickly, quite quickly on. So it has a whole series of effects uh, which very much change Italian society very quickly. Culturally, the bike also seems so, so important. Um, the Bicycle Thieves is a film that really seems to resonate a lot, a lot of those themes. Um, was there any other types of, of, of media or, or apart from the film which really kind of reflected this? Um, well, Bicycle Thieves was, was this film about a man who needs a bike to work and then um, gets his bike stolen and therefore he can't work and he needs to feed his family and, and he wanders around Rome looking for his bike and seeing bikes everywhere and not being able to find his bike and ends up trying to steal another one and is humiliated. An extraordinary film and one of the most important films in the history of cinema but also an extraordinary example of how important the bike was in post-war Italy. Um, lots of people worked on their bikes. They copy, for example, had become a cyclist through being a delivery boy. Uh, a lot of the people who became cyclists first started to cycle through their work. Um, and Bicycle Threes reflected that. Um, but the bicycle was everywhere in Italy. It was, it was in advertising. It was um, sold hundreds of thousands of copies of Gazzetta della Sport, especially time, around the time of the Giro. It was still part of everyday life on, in the farms and in the cities and so on. And then the car came along. And already in the 1950s, you get Fiat producing the Cinquecento, which is the first great, cheap, small car in the world, really. Um, apart from America, and uh, the car starts to dominate very quickly. People put away their bikes, put them in garages, and the sport itself also starts to decline because of that. And Coppi died very young in 1960 from malaria, bizarrely, which he caught in Africa while doing a training uh, sort of exhibition race. He died in 1960, and I, I count that date, 2nd of January 1960, as a really symbolic moment in the transition from... Uh, Italy going from pre-modernity to modernity, from a rural to industrial society, and from a cycling society to a motorised society.